When I was a sophomore in college, I was going to Pfeiffer. You ever heard of that? Pfeiffer, yeah. Um, back then, it was Pfeiffer College. We also didn't have electricity. No, it wasn't that long ago. Um, now it's Pfeiffer University. But I was a, I was a sophomore at, at Pfeiffer, um, and then I worked at the YMCA down the street. And um, during the summer, the fall of my junior year, I'm working at the YMCA. I'm a lifeguard. And I was a lifeguard, and, and I walked out, and I picked up the paper, and I saw in the paper that Wingate College, now university, was starting a football program, and I thought, God wants me to play in the NFL, <laughs> and this is my first step. Never played football. I did play in the eighth grade. I, mean, I didn't play. I was on the team. Um, it's a big difference, right? It's a big, big difference. I didn't play in high school. Um, I was very, very small. In the eighth grade, I weighed 87 pounds. Um, in the eighth grade, I was so small that when I played basketball, I got knee pads that would fall to my ankles, and so I had to wear elbow pads on my knee. That's how small I was. So I was a little afraid of playing football, okay? I'm going to be honest with you. I was a little afraid. Um, but I've been working out in college. I'd kind of, you know, gotten a little bit um, stronger, maybe not bigger, because um, right now you're thinking, you worked out in college? Wow, what happened? Um, it's called life. People grow up. Stop judging me. Um, so I saw this, this article that Wingate was going to start their football program, and they, were in, they had just finished their first year, and they were going to start. To, and I thought, I'm going to transfer in the middle of my junior year to Wingate College. And I'm going to try out for the football team, and I'm going to make the football team. Not only am I going to make the football team, but I'm going to dominate at wide receiver. Not only am I going to dominate at wide receiver, but I'm going to get drafted in the first round of the NFL draft, and I'm going to be the guy that sits on TV and says, thanks to you and I, United Way, we can make it work. I just knew it was going to happen. I had no doubt in my mind. I, I was kind of going to live this dream. And that dream was great. Until one day at spring practice, they called a play. It wasn't a play for me. I was the wide receiver that was just going to be a decoy. So I went out to the far left side. I got that awesome wide receiver stance. Sup? And I noticed that the cornerback was bent down real low. And I remember thinking... That looks stupid. And then I turned back, and they snapped the ball. And the next thing I knew, I was looking out my ear hole. <laughs> and he was laughing. He jacked me up bad. I mean, my whole, where, 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 where am I? And suddenly, my dream was not a dream anymore. I, did, I didn't taste this dream. I tasted blood in my mouth, right? Something about that kind of woke me up. And I realized this is not just a game. Like, this is real. Is this real life? Yeah, it's real life. You know, I'm like, how do you turn a helmet back around? Listen, sometimes we get hit like that. Sometimes we get wake-up calls. We realize, wait, this is, this is real life. I'm kind of floating along, and the doctor says the C word. And then we're not floating along anymore. Kind of floating along, kind of doing a little thing, oh, church thing, Christian thing, smiling when we don't really mean it. And all of a sudden we get to slip and it's pink. We don't have a job anymore. Oh, this is real life. So we get hit 
in the face. We're looking out of an ear hole. And we're kind of going, what? I was just trying to live the dream. So I want you to know something. You're in a war. You're in a war. Ephesians chapter 6, that's where we're going to be today. You and I are in a war. Sometimes we don't live like we're in a war. We live like everything's perfect, it's great, fantastic. Sometimes we get hit and we realize, man, there's more going on than what I thought. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. You're going to hear a lot of stuff in here about standing and about fighting. Um, Here's what I want you to understand, especially if you're here for the first time today. We have, because we're slow learners, we've taken 16 weeks at the gathering to get to this point in Ephesians, okay? So way, 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 way back in week one, we said things like, the most important choice you'll ever make is Jesus. And if you don't make a choice to trust Jesus with your salvation, and I know it sounds real churchy and like, he's going to say the sin word. Yeah, I said it right there. If you don't trust Jesus with your sin, then you're never going to have a shot, Okay? You're not going to have a shot at what he's saying in this letter, in this book, because it's all based on being in Christ. Sounds churchy, but it just means I'm trusting Jesus with everything. I loved it. Alexis had the perfect answer. What does Jesus mean to you? Everything. That's what it means to be in Christ. You don't have to wear the dress and the bow, but still that's what it means to be in Christ. He means everything. And so if you're in Christ like that, that's who this applies to. If we're not in Christ like that, sometimes we hear stand, fight, and we, we get confused. We think, wait, 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 what do you mean stand, fight? I, I thought that Jesus had already, I thought, I thought it was over. They heard this in one sitting. So in one church service, they, hold, they heard this whole letter. And they heard things way back in Ephesians chapter 1 about how, let's just, let's just read it. I want you to understand that the victory that Jesus has given us way, way back. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, here's what it says. Which he exerted power, he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's what we're celebrating today. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given. Not only in the present age, back then, but also in the one to come, today and even further. And God placed all things, how many things? All All things, that means your spouse, some of you are liking that right now. You're like, I like to, whoa, <laughs> interactions, yes on that part was awkward. I like to put my spouse under my foot, right? I mean, I don't, I'm just, as, just generally saying out loud, you know, hypothetically. But my spouse is under Jesus' feet. Your boss, under Jesus' feet. Yeah, now we can say amen on that, right? Woo! <laughs> if your boss is here, you're like, did you hear that? <laughs> you're going to give me a raise now, right? Jesus ain't going to let you up. Your school teacher, your professor, yet the professor that didn't tell you about the eight-page paper until the day before, he's under Jesus' feet. All things, all things. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. That's us in Christ, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way here's the thing when they heard what we're going to read in ephesians 6 about how we need to stand how we need to fight how there's still stuff that we need to do we hear it through the american church filter of god two more things to do but they heard it through the ephesians filter of what we just we just heard about like he he kicked satan's butt like he didn't jesus didn't barely win 
He overwhelmingly won. He didn't just barely squeak by. I barely beat. We had to go into overtime, and I hit the last second shot, and I barely beat Satan. Jesus was like, dude, I win. And the Ephesians heard that. So everything that they hear in this chapter, everything we hear in this chapter, it all has to come through that filter. Jesus wins convincingly. You and I don't have to try to defeat Satan. He's already defeated. Jesus won. It means that we win too. So um, we should just hand clap and high five right now. Sure. Just go eat. Get out of here, right? Go eat some yellow peeps like the fastest sermon ever. Right? Jesus wins. Everybody say yay. Yeah. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. He's a defeated foe, but he's not a dead foe. He's a defeated foe. He's not a dead foe. I want to make sure that you get this. So there are still going to be times that we're called to fight. Um, our victory secure. The battle's raging. Have you ever watched a police chase? Like, remember back the OJ trial? Remember he, he's in the, the white, was it an Explorer Blazer? He's in it, and he's, it's a what? Bronco. See, y'all should have been working. I was working. I didn't know what he was driving. I, was, I had a boss and all that, you know. Y'all were just like at the gym going, check that out, right? So he's in the Bronco, and they're driving, and we're like, as, an, as a whole country, we're just glued. We're just watching this coverage, and he got the helicopter, you know, the guys that were trying to get, like, further his career. I see the white Bronco. 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 He's turning right. He's turning left. Like, dude, we can watch it. Shut up. And all the police cars around him, right? All the police cars. And that's probably a horrible example because in that chase, the guy driving the Bronco was real chill, right? But you see the crazy people that the police chase, the crazy drivers, the dude that just stole the car, and he's driving at 110 miles an hour in a residential zone? I'm going to ask you this question. You ever watch those police chases and think to yourself, I wonder how this is going to end? I, I always watch him going... The dude's not getting away, right? The end is somewhat secure. But I still hold my breath when I see from the helicopter's perspective that he's speeding towards an intersection and there's a car pulling into it. And there's a part of me that's kind of like, I hope he smashes it. And then there's a part of me, that, the, the good part, like there's the devil that says, smash it, because that would be great TV. And then there's the good guy that's like, if you could imagine a good Paul, no, no, don't pull in the intersection. Because even though the end is guaranteed... The dude driving it is still mad, scared, out of control. He's hitting cars. He's hitting people. There's a lot of damage taking place from here to the end. I want you to understand something. The end is secure. Satan is defeated. He's just a little ticked off. He's driving a crazy car. He's being chased into a corner, and he's a little out of control. And only a fool... And I'm emphasizing the word fool to the church people would walk out into the intersection and go, but Jesus already beat you. Bam! And Jesus is like, yeah, you're an idiot. Get out of the intersection. That's what we're talking about. The victory is secure. The end is guaranteed. Satan loses. But there's still a fight going on. Let me 
give you the big idea. This will kind of help us navigate through this passage. And then we'll just talk about three things, and then we'll go eat ham or whatever you're having. Here's the big idea today. Jesus, because Jesus won the war, because Jesus won the war, we can stand and fight. Now, if you're new here today, you're going, what's a big idea? Let me give you a little secret. I know something about you. I know that most everything I say, you're going to forget. Not because you're a bad listener, but because you're human. And because I mentioned ham a couple minutes ago, and right now you're going, did I set the timer? Is it going to be done? Is it going to be overcooked? You know, what about, what about potatoes? Do you serve mashed potatoes? Do you serve baked potatoes? Do you serve fries? Do you serve anything? Do you just get bread? What do you, do I, did I make the tea? Did I put sugar in it? Is it going to be sweetened? Is it going to be, uh, uh? see, you're already, I know that. So here's, that's all you got to remember. That's it. Just remember that. I'm going to talk a lot longer, but just remember that. Because Jesus won the war, we can stand and fight. Because he's going to talk a lot about standing and fighting. So here's the thing. Three things we need to know. Three things we need to know so that we can get to the end of this with the least amount of damage possible. Okay? The least amount of damage possible. Here's three things. Here's number one. You need to understand that we have an enemy. I'm not totally sure where you stand on the whole devil thing. Some people think he's everywhere, but he's not, because he can't be. He's not God. Only God can be everywhere. So I can rest, you can rest assured, no matter how mean the person next to you might look right now, they're not Satan. I know it's up for debate, right? So you're like, I don't know, man. When I married you at the altar, you looked beautiful, but now there's like horns or something poking out. The person next to you is not Satan. Satan cannot be everywhere at one time. He's not God. Some people think that he's nowhere because they think he's not real. But Paul said right here in Ephesians chapter 6, he said, take up your stand against the devil's schemes. He is real. And let me just set you at ease. Satan doesn't really care what you think about him. Again, you can be the idiot that pulls out into the intersection totally unaware of a police chase. He's going to run over you. You can say, well, well, stop, stop. I don't even believe in you. Boom. He doesn't care. So you can sit here all day long and say, I don't, I don't even believe in Satan. <laughs> he don't have to. He'll still attack you. He has no problem with that. Satan probably loves it when people debate about him. He has a job to do. He will do it. Sometimes we forget who the real enemy is. Sometimes we think that our, our enemy is Somebody that's like flesh, blood, somebody we can see, somebody we can touch. Paul says this, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Everybody take a deep breath. <sighs> but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Man, your fight is not with people. Your fight is with the power behind the people. Um... I'm going to give you, especially if you don't love Jesus, I'm still going to give you this great verse that you can quote all the time. Okay? It's a great verse. You need to get your pen out. You're going to write this down. Especially if you don't love Jesus, because you'll sound so good. You're like, I'm just quoting scripture. Okay, here we go. Write down Matthew 16, 23. Matthew 16, 23 is the great story where Jesus looks at one of his disciples, Peter, and calls him Satan. So you can quote this anytime you want. Somebody's doing something to you that's kind of ticking you off. You just look at them and say, hey, I, just want, I got a word for you. Get behind me, Satan. 
Even Jesus recognized this. Jesus recognized in that moment, I'm not fighting Peter. I'm fighting the power behind Peter. Something else is behind Peter. <laughs> you already knew Satan was controlling your boss. Now you have biblical proof. tell you a few things about Satan. He schemes. Have you ever heard the, um, the phrase one trick pony? You know what that means? No? Yes, no. One trick pony is somebody who only does one thing well. Like, like you're a one trick pony. It's like kind of like a one hit wonder. God, we could do that for a while. Talk about one hit wonders. Like those bands that just had one great song and you never heard from them again. And probably for good reason. Satan's a little bit better than a one-trick pony. John 10.10 says that he's a three-trick pony. He's got three tricks. He wants to steal, he wants to kill, and he wants to destroy. That's, that's it. That's all Satan's got. So he looks in his playbook, and he goes, I think today I'll run play number one, steal. Yeah, let's mix it up a little bit. Tomorrow I'll do number two, kill. <laughs> They'll never expect number three, destroy. That's it. I mean, let me ask you, if you were playing ball against somebody who had three plays and you knew what the three plays were, could you beat them? Well, then why aren't we? Ah, uh, because we need Jesus for that, right? I just want you to know, he's a, he's, he's a schemer. He's got plans. He's got plays. There are three of them. Steal, kill, destroy. What, what does that look like in real life? I'll just make the statement. You can wrestle with how far you want to take it. I think it's fair to say if somebody's trying to steal your peace and your joy, if somebody's trying to kill your confidence, if somebody's trying to destroy your security in Christ, that's not God. That's probably Satan. Steal, kill, destroy is not in God's game plan. It's in Satan's, okay? I don't know if you should go all off on them. You know, tomorrow when you're at work and somebody tells you something really sad and it steals your joy, I don't know if you should start crying and go, Satan! I don't know. I'll let you decide. I wouldn't go that route, but I think on the inside of me, before I got really ticked at that person, I would start to remember, wait a second, it's not the person, it's the power behind the person. Know who your enemy is. He's a strategizer. I've worked for, for bosses before that if I walked in their room and said, hey, what do you think about, that turned into a 30-minute whiteboard session, right? And they're like, licking it and they're like drawing stuff and i'm sorry you're seeing the worst side of me now and they're drawing stuff over here and over and then they're like doing the whole madden thing and then boom you know i mean it would be so long i would like just take my phone out at the end of the meeting and just take a picture like what are you doing uh, i'm never going to remember all that it might be important i'm just going to snap a little shot here and just instagram it <laughs> satan's like that he's a schemer he plans He's very patient. Satan will wait your whole life. He'll work behind the scenes your whole life just for one shot to trip you up. I would dare say that Satan puts more thought into how he can attack us than we put into how we can withstand him. He's pretty good. And the reason he's really good is because he has limited resources. I don't know how you are. If I've only got 20 bucks to spend, I'm careful about where I spend it. Now, if I won the lottery and had ultimate money and it was never going to run out, I'd be like the, the, the Geico dollar motorcycle do guy, right? I'd just throw money everywhere. But when you have limited resources, if you've only got three plays, if you can only do a certain amount, if you can't be everywhere, you can only be somewhere, 
You're limited. You have to be really, really good about what you do and when you do it. I want you to at least get this. Your enemy's really, really, really good. And he's really bent on taking you out. Even though the war's won. Isn't that crazy? Even though the war's won. He's not playing around. He doesn't stop fighting just because he's defeated. The Christ followers who fail to take him seriously will find themselves in a world of hurt. 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us to be sober-minded, to be vigilant against the enemy. That he roars and prowls around like a roaring lion. If you're not intentional about your enemy, you will eventually be looking through the ear hole of a helmet, wondering what hit you every single time. Here's what hit you. Your enemy, and he hits hard. The good news is this. God didn't leave you alone. So we have an enemy. Here's the second thing we have. You'll love this word. We have weaponry. Isn't that great? I was going to put we have weapons, but it doesn't really go with enemy. Like we have an enemy, we have weaponry, and when we get to the third one, you'll be like, oh, yeah, another like E thing. We have weaponry. So um, he's, he's mad. He's ticked. He knows his time is limited. He wants the most bang for the buck. And so what are we supposed to do? Paul says this, take up the whole armor of God. God gets blamed for tons of stuff, doesn't he? Something goes wrong in our life, and we blame God. I'll say it for you. You're like, I would never blame God. Yeah, you would, because you're just like me. Something bad goes wrong, and you say, why? And if you don't just say why, like for the whole world, it's like, why me? We, but that's a, that's a question. It's not a bad question, but it's a question that blames God. It's like, we're like, I want an answer. Why are you doing this to me? Why is this happening to me? Why did I lose my job? Why did I get cancer? I'm a pretty good person. Why? 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 We just tend to blame God. There's some things we'll never answer for. But I can tell you right this, this right now, he's given us what we need for this fight. Do you see that? Like he said, take up the whole armor of God. Paul didn't say... Uh, take up whatever pieces you got. You know, play Monopoly, right? You like Monopoly? Huh. I just split the room in half. The people, the people that love Monopoly and the people that get beat by the people who love Monopoly. You just get all the stuff, but you know, you're probably never going to own everything. You're just going to own some things. Man, it's not like you're just not limited pieces. You're like, you've got all the weapons where you need. You've got it all. So, basically... God doesn't send us to a fight unequipped because he's not like that. But we are the type of people that would go into a fight unprepared. Is that fair to say? Here's the weapons that we have. Let me just run through them real quick. If you like to write, this is when you want to write. If you don't like to write, throw your pen at somebody. Here we go. We have the belt of truth. We have the belt of truth. Truth centers us, which holds everything together. Now, this is the first piece that they would put on. These are written in the order that they would put them on. They would put on the belt, and that's kind of where the, the sword would be held, and, and then the breastplate would kind of like sit on top of that. So that's really, really critical. We need truth because John 8, 44 says that we are fighting the father of lies. Satan loves to lie. When, just we're going way, way back. We'll see who grew up in Santa County. Back when we used to have this awesome establishment called the Silver Odyssey, Anybody remember that place? Okay, well, me and my sister will be having a chat now. Okay, there we go. Three. Yes, I see that hand. Yes, yes, yes. 
Silver Odyssey was the arcade. It, it's up, it used, that boy, like, when you start saying the Silver Odyssey was in Quimby Mall, and which used to be Quimby Mall, but now it's Stanley County Commons, and you're going way, way back, right? But there was this arcade where you go hang out and like, play these really awesome games where you like, hit the button and it went beep, 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 beep. Sound like Morse code, right? You just play, play these video games, and everybody, every kid loved it because it's Albemarle. There's nothing to do, right? My mom hated Silver Odyssey. She said, do not go to Silver Odyssey. It's a bad place. Satan's there. <laughs> no, he wasn't. So for me to go to Silver Odyssey, man, I had to concoct some story, right? So I could lie to my mom. So I had a friend. And we went to, we told mom that we were going to go to the Y to work out. As far as you know, that's what we did. We got into my dad's station wagon, the dragon wagon. It was awesome. It's a fantastic little car. And we drove down towards the Y and took a little detour at Quinby Mall and went to Silver Odyssey, kind of just on the way to the Y. But we spent all of our time at Silver Odyssey. And then we got in the car. And on the way home, I remember saying to my friend, look, we'll just tell mom that, you know, we've been gone about an hour and a half. That's about how long we would have worked out. It's all going to be good. And he said to me, words that changed my life forever. If we were working out, shouldn't we be sweating? Oh, little details. Yeah, I like the way you're thinking. It was like a 95-degree summer day in my dad's dragon wagon. So what we did was anybody else would do. We just put the windows all the way up, and we cranked the heat on high. <laughs> so by the time we got home, oh, we were sweating. Oh, yeah, baby. We were sweating. And we walked in the house, and Mom's like, how was the workout? Oh, it was great. We were just worn out. And she never, she never knew. Never knew. I don't know, I want you to know something. It's a great story, but that came from Satan. You know that, right? Because he's the father of lies. I was not wearing the belt of truth in that moment, or I would never have gotten away with that because something in me would have been like wanting to throw up for lying to my mom. I just want you to understand that whenever you lie, it's not because you're creative, it's because you're sinful. When I lie, it's not because I'm scared, or trying to worm my way out. It's because I'm sinful. The belt of truth. We should be people of truth. We are fighting the father of lies. He's the one that leads us to lies. We have the breastplate of righteousness. This guards our heart. This guards kind of who we are. Um, the heart in the Bible was everything about you. It wasn't like, you know, I love you with all my boom, boom, boom. It was like, I love you with everything that I have. Why do we need the breastplate of righteousness? Because we are fighting the accuser. Revelation 12.10 says that Satan accuses us before the Father in heaven. He walks up to God and says things like, Don't you know what they did? Look at them. Look at them. Look at the gathering. Are you kidding me? They say they love Jesus. Are you kidding me? They're all into their orange wall. What's up with that? Have you seen what they do Monday through Saturday? Have you heard what they say? Have you seen how they act to each other in their homes when no one's watching? Because I see it, because you can see it. You're God. Look at them. He's the accuser. He's always trying to destroy who we really are. And we have the breastplate of righteousness for that. We have shoes for preaching. I know you're not a preacher. But the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.15, not to preachers, but to believers, Christ followers, that we're supposed to be ready to share the hope of the gospel at all times, 
anywhere. <laughs> Even when you walk up a ramp and the dude in the orange shirt says, what does Jesus mean to you? You got to have an answer. Uh, he's Jesus? I heard a preacher one time give a Jesus cheer. You know what a Jesus cheer is? Let's do it. It'd be fun. Give me a J. All right. That's all we're going to do. Because, you know, so I just want to make sure. Because <laughs> it got really awkward when it was like, hey. I heard a preacher one time. He got up. He's trying to get the crowd going, you know. And he was like, give me a G. Give me an E. Give me an S. And I mean, the crowd's just kind of go along with it because they're like, I don't know what, maybe, I don't know what this is. And he's, give me a U. Give me an S. And he went, what's that spell? And the whole crowd went, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, be prepared, right? <laughs> know how to spell Jesus. We're supposed to be prepared at all times, in any circumstance. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. Why do we need those shoes? Because we are fighting an enemy who loves to distract and who loves to delay. Just jot down Daniel 10, 13. That's, um, Daniel's been praying for 21 days, like needing an answer from God. And finally an angel shows up. I don't know how you get your answers from God. I don't typically get angels in my house. That'd be cool though. Dude, you're really, really big. Tell me you're from God. This angel shows up, and the angel says this to Daniel. Hey, the first minute you prayed, I heard you. God heard you the first, the moment you prayed, he heard you, and he sent me with an answer. But I've been withheld by the prince of Persia. It's in the Bible. It's crazy. So sometimes there's delays, and, and guess who the delayer is? It's usually Satan. He loves to delay the answer. He loves to... When we say, and this happens every time, you ever feel like just overwhelming, like, God, I want to do this for you, Jesus, and whatever this is. And you're so, man, you're, you just know it's the will of God. And the minute you start to take a step, distraction. I'm telling you, that's not God. Our enemy loves to distract. Don't ever let him convince you to take your shoes off. We have a shield of faith. Man, this is needed in church. Faith fills the cracks in others and ourselves. Um, these are the places that small darts and arrows can find. The shield back in the day was actually drenched in water because people would shoot fiery arrows and fiery darts. So they would drench these shields in water and they would pick them up. I don't know, if, I don't know you guys. I'm just picturing like 300 in my head, right? I haven't seen it because I can't stand the blood, but I've heard about it. So you just drench, pull the shield out, it's drenched with water, just hold it up, and so it hits, just extinguishes the flames. We have faith for that. I don't know if you've been around people that shoot darts. Have you? I mean, typically at work, if somebody wants to hurt your feelings, they don't pull out a blow, a blow dart gun. <laughs> That's awesome. You just went out. They don't do that. They shoot other kind of darts. They gossip. You ever had that? They spread lies about you. They get to know you really, really well, and then they stab you in the back. We've got to have faith. We need this because we're fighting a snake. 
who tries always to find an opening. Ephesians 4.27, we studied this a few weeks ago. We said to, to um, never let the sun go down your wrath because you don't want to give the, the devil a foothold. Just kind of stick his foot in the door. He, he, it says in 2 Timothy 3.6, it talks about people who want to worm their way in. You know people like that that want to worm their way in to the relationship? And when they finally get in, they drop the bomb. And they just destroy everything. That's a tactic of Satan. We have the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shoes for preaching, shield of faith. We have a helmet of salvation. Um, the battle is in our minds long before it's in our surroundings. Y'all already know that. We've got to wage the war in our minds. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says to take captive every thought. You're like, I don't, have to, I don't have to do anything with my mind. I don't even use my mind. <laughs> you marry somebody like that? Dude, use your mind. Take captive every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Jesus. Romans 12.2. Ephesians 4.23 talks about being renewed in our minds. Washing our minds with the word. We need this because we're fighting an enemy who loves to plant doubt. Genesis 3.1. We're almost through with these weapons. Genesis 3.1. The first question Satan ever asked in the question was, did God say? That's the enemy that we're fighting. He loves to plant doubt. He loves to attack what you already know. That's why you'll do things like this. And it just makes you normal. I don't want you to freak out about it. I just want you to know where it's coming from. Well, we could, you could serve God for 20 years. You could read your Bible every day for 20 years. For hours a day. And you could wake up one morning 20 years from now and say to yourself, am I really saved? Who does that come from? Did God really say? That's Satan. I mean, you've got to... You've got to fight the fight up in your head. We have a sword. The sword is the only offensive weapon that we have. Because frankly, it's the only offensive weapon that you need. It's the Bible. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and active. Isaiah 55.11 says that his word will not return void. And we need this because it's the only, it's the only weapon that defeats the enemy. So, um, I love, just you can read it sometime, Matthew 4, 1 through 11, Satan's tempting Jesus, and it kind of went like this. Um, Satan said, hey, Jesus, you should do this. The Bible says this, and Jesus' response to Satan was, hey, but Dr. Phil says. I think that's something like that, isn't it? Oprah says. And Oprah's getting hooked up with Christians now, so she, what she says matters, right? Joel says. Perry says, Stephen says, I think what Jesus said was, the word says, it is written. That's the, that's the, that's the one weapon. I'll tell you right now, we, we heard this from David Platt at Secret Church. Flat out, man, if you, just read the Bible. Just read the Bible. You'd be amazed. I mean, if you just read the Bible, I told Wendy, we walk out of Secret Church, six hours of watching a guy talk about the Bible. Read verses from the Bible. And you kind of walk out, now. you're tired because it's late, but you kind of walk out going, man, I just feel full. I feel full. Like I sat here in this church for six, okay, seven hours and listened to a dude read me scripture for seven hours and you would think I'd be bored out of my mind and sometimes you kind of are, but at the end of it, you're just full. You know why? It's the Word of God. It does not return void. Man, you want one practical application from this message 
start reading the Bible. Just regularly. Just read the Bible. Just read the Bible. Jesus is, if Jesus needed the Bible to defeat Satan, I'm thinking probably we would not be hurt by learning it. So what does the loving Father do when he knows that we're in a fight against a defeated enemy? He equips us because he loves us. Not good to be caught naked in the fight. Some people are naked on purpose. They're called streakers. <laughs> Typically, they're very large. I don't know why that is, right? You're like, dude, I think you, of all people, should keep your clothes on. I watched a streaker one time in a soccer game. I wasn't there, thankfully. I was watching TV, and they were showing highlights of it. How do you show highlights of a streaker, right? I mean, he's just like running on, and he's just like flapping. I mean, everything's flapping. It's terrible. Like, dude, put your clothes on, right? And he meant to do that. Like something, and he was like, this is going to be great. Probably had to drink a few to get the courage, right? But he meant to do it. He went with the plan. My plan is to show my naked body in front of the world and have the whole world go, oh, that was the plan. The plan here is don't go streaking. Get dressed. Don't be caught naked. I'd like to point that out. It'd be great if we like, had accountability sessions, right? Where we actually looked at each other and said, you're looking kind of naked right now. Spiritually, you've got the hospital gown on, not quite covering. You might need to change your clothes. Put on the full armor of God. And here's why. Here's why. Probably wouldn't even be a bad idea on every day, just kind of take that passage. Romans, I mean, Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Just read it. Just kind of in your mind, like, okay, I'm putting on the belt. I got the breastplate. I'm putting all these things on. I'm getting my shoes on. Because not only do you feel more equipped and protected, but I'm going to tell you right now, something about putting on the armor changes our mindset from victim to victor. You just kind of, you ever seen guys when they work out at the gym? <laughs> all you ladies are like, yeah, it's pretty funny. Because they go into the gym looking like they walk like they're 90 pounds and give them 30 minutes in the gym and they walk out like they're Mr. America and you're like you know 30 minutes didn't really change a lot but you walked in like this and you walked out like <laughs> hey baby you know your body's the same right I mean, there's some blood flowing to the vessels, and they're a little pumped up, and I get all that, but you're the same. You're scrawny. You're small. But in their mind, I'm telling you right now how guys are. I don't know how girls are, because I'm not a girl. But in guys' minds, 30 minutes in the gym, and you're the biggest, baddest dude in the world. Something changes up here. And you carry yourself like you're the biggest, baddest dude in the world. And if you do that long enough, eventually you find a girl who goes... He is the biggest, baddest dude in the world. I don't like him so much before the gym, but after the gym, the dude is awesome. Something changes up here. That's what this is about. Man, get dressed. You have an enemy who wants to destroy you. He is driving a Bronco. He's being chased. The end is absolutely secure. But between here and there, he's taking out as much as he possibly can. And because your father loves you, he sent Jesus to kill Satan, to defeat Satan, and he has given you weaponry to put on for protection. 
And when you put it on, you will find yourself going, wait a second. We win. We have an enemy. We have weaponry. We have victory. Last one. This won't take long at all. This is the part where I tell you that we have victory and you say back to me in your head because you probably would like to say it out loud but you don't want to stand up and do it publicly. Why doesn't it feel like I'm winning? If you say that we have victory, why doesn't it feel like I'm winning? Back at verse 10, Paul said, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the strength of His might. We're not winning if we're not trusting in what Jesus has already done. If you're trying to defeat Satan on your own, you're never going to win. It's not possible. You do not have it in you. Just real quick, let me just share a few verses tell you what Jesus has done for us. Colossians 2.15, He disarmed and humiliated Satan. John 16, 33, he overcame the world. Psalm 108, 13, Jesus walks on our enemies. Love that verse. Deuteronomy 24, he fights for us and gives us victory. 2 Corinthians 2, 14, he always leads the victory parade. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57, Jesus gives us victory. So why does it feel like we're losing? Sometimes, honestly, because we haven't just trusted in Jesus for victory over sin. I know where you're headed, Paul. It's going to be another altar call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. This is the part where all of us that have been in church all of our lives need to think seriously about what it means to be saved. Because we've been taught in church to just try harder, to just do better. But salvation is totally trusting Jesus and the victory that he's already secured for us. Sometimes it feels like we're losing because we just want the fight to be over. And I understand that. But here's the thing. Our response to the victory of Jesus, because Satan is defeated but still very active, right? because we still live in a world full of sin, because we're still surrounded by shrapnel, our response to the victory of Jesus is never drinks with umbrellas. It's always armor and swords. Back in 1 Corinthians 15, you want to turn there. Jesus, Paul's talking about Jesus. He says, you know, death, where's your sting? He says, thanks be to God who always gives us victory in Christ Jesus. And the response to that in verse 58 is this. So therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always giving yourself to the work you have to do. That's our response to the victory of Christ. To be steadfast, to be immovable, and always giving ourselves to the work that we have to do. It sounds a lot like Ephesians chapter 6. Four times Paul tells him to stand. Now here's, here's the, um, the meaning of the word, and then we'll, we'll start wrapping up. How many of you are sitting next to somebody right now who's stubborn? Ah, yes, lots of parents with their hands in the air. They're like, this is why I like Kid City so much. Send my stubborn kid down there to get Jesus, right? The Greek word for stand borders on stubbornness. It's, it's kind of like, hey, I'm not going to waver. 
Let me give you an example that um, you'll definitely understand. Let's just say that one of you wins the lottery. Who should we use for the lottery winner today? All right, we're going to use Judy in the back. Judy just won the lottery. She's got the winning ticket in her hand. All she's got to do is go down, turn it in wherever you turn those in, because I don't know, because I'll never have a winning lottery ticket. And she's getting $537 million. Everybody give Judy a hand. Now, on the way to the lottery ticket exchange, 537 million place, somebody comes up and tries to take her winning lottery ticket. Judy, who is very sweet and nice, turns into Ninja Judy, <laughs> right? And I can just about guarantee you the first words out of her mouth, and I don't mean this in a selfish way, is this ticket is mine. Has she already won? Yes. She has the winning ticket. She wins. Is there something to fight for? Yes. What she won. I'm telling you, Jesus won. Jesus has secured so much greater than a lottery ticket for you. He has fought to secure salvation in His work alone. And we would be fools to not put up the best fight possible to protect that. That's what this is about. Without Jesus, we had no power to defeat Satan. But because of Jesus' work on the cross, we have the power to stand and tell Him He is defeated. Let me be clear about victory, feelings, and circumstances. Um, we can be winners and still feel like losers. Everybody say, yay, that's my whole life. I'm a winner, but I feel like a loser. Um, I think um, I brought a picture. Um, let's just go ahead and throw that up there. I think this is the best picture to illustrate Christian victory. I'll let you kind of soak that in for a little bit. I think... And this is going to kind of mess with your theology, everything you've ever been taught, because you've been taught that the victorious Christian life is perfect. It's like how, how I was back when I used to watch Michael Jordan play basketball. Michael Jordan was so good at basketball, it didn't even look like he was trying. And so what I would do to be like Mike was play basketball and look like I wasn't even trying. I sucked. Even if I had been trying, it wouldn't have been pretty. The perfect Christian life is not a Christian life that looks like there's never been a struggle. This is the perfect picture of the victorious Christian life. Uh, what are you saying? I get the girl? Sure. You win. But don't think for a second that you're going to win without some fight. Without some struggle. And don't you know that that's what made holding that belt even better? We don't like that picture because honestly, we want to look good. And all that is is pride. That's all it is. People who trust fully in the work of Jesus don't care how they look. They only care that they are looking at Jesus. They see Him in His victory. And he is greater than anything that they face. That allows us to have victory in our circumstances in spite of our circumstances. 
It's possible that you um, have never trusted in Jesus like that. Today is the day to start. Just want to make sure you hear me tell you that there will be hard days past this day. Paul, who wrote this letter, and then we're going to go get Ham. Paul, who wrote this letter, wrote it from prison. He wrote it from prison. He could possibly have been chained to a dude that was still wearing armor. Some people, some scholars actually think he wrote this looking at the dude going, uh, yeah, okay, you got the belt, check, uh, breastplate, check. And he's just kind of writing it, looking at this guy. He wrote about victory in prison. Are you getting that? Because he was in a circumstance and was still victorious. Didn't change it. Because he knew where he was going. He knew that the victory was secure. You can't stand and fight in those days without first trusting in Jesus for winning the war. Paul said to put on the full armor to be ready for the day of evil, which is the day that all of you have lived or will live. And here's what it means. In the Greek, the day of evil means when things are at their worst. And maybe that's today for you. Maybe things are at their worst today. This is the moment that we put on the armor. Though we may may be bruised and broken, we will never hang our heads and say it's over because Jesus won. And that means that we win too. I'm going to ask the band to come and play. While they're coming, I'm going to read you a poem. Perfect way to end today. And then we're going to pray. And then you're going to go eat ham or McDonald's. Let me share this with you. Um, Throw that picture of Rocky back up if you don't mind. And here's what that day will look like if we're trusting Jesus with our salvation when we stand before God. Everyone in heaven watched as he staggered to the throne. Another warrior bruised and beaten who was finally coming home. He looked around and quickly noticed that he wasn't quite the same as all the others who were there. And he could feel their puzzled stares. He looked at God and then he knew why he was different from the rest. Their armor shone. But his was worn. He bowed his head. He was alone. He thought of all the other warriors and of how well they must have fought the fires of life to still come through with armor shining as if new. He then glanced at himself in shame and wondered where he had gone wrong. His sword was nicked. His shield was bent. And his soldier's suit was dull. And then God, knowing all his thoughts, reached down in love and picked him up. Your armor's dull because you fought. Their armor's shiny because they did not and then God placed him by the throne and told the warrior he was home the soldier smiled and God reached down and placed upon his head a crown